0: Christian greetings to all of you this morning It's a blessing to be here Several things come to my mind One is, I don't know who or how much you have prayed for Maranatha Bible School third term But if you have, I'd like to thank you Um, Bring you greetings from Maranatha And if you have been praying, uh, we do appreciate that And the Lord has honored prayers And we're having a good term because of God It's God's Bible School and we've had very good cooperation and a, a pleasant experience so far. So thank you for your prayers. We would appreciate if you continue to pray. As far as the service tonight, we uh, invite all of you. We want you all to come. We're going to make room. I think we'll have, we're going to set up chairs, and I think we can all get in the chapel, hopefully. And uh, we're looking forward, the students are looking forward to it, and so we invite you all. And I would say ahead of time, thank you for bringing the snack, that's a, that's a blessing that you do that for us. <clears throat> I don't know if you know it or not, but we're, we're exchanging pulpits this morning. Brother Delvin is over at Maranatha, and I'm here. And so thank you for allowing him to do that. And also Brother Dennis had to make a run to the airport this morning to ret- retrieve a young lady that had to go home for a funeral. Well, it has been some years since I've been here, and your church has changed a lot since I've been here. Um, a lot of new faces, the seats are full, and I understand there are some that are not here this morning. And so these are good changes, and I was blessed to be here this morning to worship with you in Sunday School. I was impressed with the Sunday School lesson and the challenge that it left. And as we looked at that lesson, and we, I think we had turned to the book of Matthew it says there they shall see the son of man coming in the clouds with heaven and with power and great glory you know that's when Jesus Christ returns it says we shall see him coming in the clouds and the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1 I believe it is verse 7 that behold he's going to come in the clouds and every eye shall behold him and we want to be those that, that when we see him we rejoice and we say thank you Jesus we're out of here but not everyone's going to say that. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says, The love of many shall wax cold, but he that shall endure to the end shall be saved. And so let's be faithful, dear brothers and sisters. I was impressed how the Sunday school lesson ties in with a message this morning that I felt the Lord laid upon my heart. God's pretty good at that, and I appreciate that. So as I move into the message this morning, I'd like for you to think about a word. That word is ownership. How many of you recall using the word ownership in your vocabulary this year? One. Okay. How many of you think you've ever used that word in your lifetime? Ownership. More hands. Quite a few. All right. Well, ownership is a real word. All right. I didn't make it up. It's in Webster's. It's a real word. So, then let me ask you another question. How many of you own something? This is not a trick question. How many of you own something? Raise your hands. If you own something, from an earthly perspective, you own something. All right. so what do you own? I'd like for you to respond to me this morning. Just tell me some things that you own. What do you own? Oh, come on, talk to me. What do you own? A car. A car. All right. What else do you own? House. House? Some book. What did you say? Some books. Books. Okay. <laughs> Suit coat. Suit coat. What else do you own? Land. Snowblower. Snowblower. Okay. All right, so we own things. We're talking about ownership this morning. How many of you own a watch? Yes. What's your name, Jeremiah? You own a watch? All right. You know Jeremiah takes very little commitment to own a watch. Pretty low level of commitment to own a watch. Now, I don't know what your commitment is to your watch. Do you talk to your watch every day? Do you name him like Wally the Watch? Okay, Wally, I'm going to put you on this morning, and we're going to go to work. Do you, do you build a relationship with your watch? And say, well, how are you feeling today? And how was your day today when, you know, and, and are you feeling all right? And just build a relationship with a watch. No, you don't do it. In fact, you can take that watch and you lay it on your shelf or on your nightstand, whatever, and you can ignore it for a couple days. It doesn't make any difference. It's not offended. It's a low level of commitment to own a watch. Take it or leave it, whatever. The watch doesn't care. Now, somebody said, I think Dwight said he owns a car. And obviously, many of you own cars or vans or something. <clears throat> we just we came from Haiti several weeks ago. We were three weeks in Haiti, and we got the call to come to Maranatha. And so I'm still got some Haiti things in my mind. But in Haiti, uh, there's not a lot of cars. Of course, if you go into Port-au-Prince, where is the greatest population of people, you'll find cars in Port-au-Prince. But when you get out in the country, there's mostly motos and tap taps now a moto is a little motorcycle that they use for taxis and they pile two three four people on a motorcycle maybe a goat a pig whatever else okay so there's motos and there's tap taps because the common people don't have their own vehicles all right they don't have them most of the 60 passers we were teaching maybe two or three of them have their own vehicle they just don't have them they don't own a card right So you got these tap-taps. Now a tap-tap is a little pickup truck, like an S10 or a little Nissan or something, and they put these big racks on them, and they pile them full of people, and they haul people around on these tap-taps, like taxis, but few cars. But occasionally, when you're driving down the road, you'll see some cars, and occasionally I'd see a car, most often it would be an SUV, that would come down the road, and they would have lights on it flashing and a siren blowing. And I'd ask the car, so police? because it didn't look like a said, oh no that's not a policeman that's just somebody that is fortunate fortunate enough to own a vehicle and so they put lights on it and a siren so it says I am the owner look at me I own this car yeah well that's one way you can look at owning a car now there's another way did you know that I found that owning a car can be a humbling experience about a year and a half ago, or two years ago, I bought this little SUV out here that I got out here today. It's just a Saturn, okay. But I thought it was kind of a nice little vehicle. Till I took it to Ohio and drove in at their churchyards and to my relative's house. I thought it was pretty nice till I got there, so now when I go to Ohio, I just I don't blow my horn or nothing when I come in the driveway. I just kinda of sneak in and park off to the side and quietly close the door and slink away from it, you know? (laughs) But I have a title that says I'm the owner. And a house was mentioned. You know, it takes some upkeep, some money to have a house. But most of us think that it's, or some of us think that it's worth it. And there's a satisfaction to owning a house and we have a deed that says the property is ours, and as long as you pay that property tax, yes, you absolutely own it. You are the owner. It belongs to you because you have paid for it. Pedal a message this morning. church ownership. Do you have ownership in the church of Jesus Christ? We own watches, we own houses, we own cars and farms and tractors and guns and bows and arrows, all kinds of things, but do we have ownership in the church of Jesus Christ? I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16 this morning. to start reading at verse 5 of Matthew chapter 16. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned amongst among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves, or the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand, that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them... Not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now we have this little conversation going on. Uh, Jesus and the disciples, we, we see the disciples in verse 5. They came to the other side. They just had come from a big meeting. Uh, Jesus had been healing everybody that they brought into him. Uh, they had fed the 4,000 men plus women and children seven baskets left over. And just come out of that, come to the other side of the lake. And His disciples get over to the other side and they said, you know what? Who brought the lunch? And they started looking around and nobody had the lunch. We forgot to bring food. We don't have lunch. What's... And maybe they're getting hungry. And I don't know. It doesn't sound like they said it in conversation to Jesus, but Jesus perceived what they were saying. What they're thinking, and so Jesus said in verse six, he said six, he says, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And now the disciples are really feeling bad because they had forgot to bring the lunch, the bread, and, and Jesus is saying, you know, don't go get the bread from the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Beware of their leaven. And they said in verse seven, they reasoned among themselves, saying, it's because we have taken no bread, so Jesus knows we forgot the lunch. And maybe he's not happy with us. It's because he's talking about this leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And let me just put it in my words what happened from there on out. Let me paraphrase it. Jesus said, You know what? He said, You disciples, you disciples, you are so earthly minded. You're so earthly minded. When I said about the leaven, he said, I'm not talking about bread. That you're going to eat for lunch. I'm not talking about lunch bread. I'm not talking about wheat bread or white bread or sourdough bread or whatever kind of bread you want to talk about. You see, Jesus was saying, if it was that kind of bread that's a problem, it wouldn't be a problem. And he went on to exhort him. He said, how can you so quickly forget? We just got done feeding 4,000 men. Plus, women and children maybe 10,000 people from a little basket of food we fed them all and you had seven baskets left over how can you forget that so quickly He said you know what if it was a bread was a problem do you not think I could produce enough lunch for 13 of us? you're just so earthly minded. Where is your faith? By the way as I read this again this morning I had a wonder you know they had just come from the other side where there was seven baskets full of bread left over, why didn't they bring one with them? They wanted lunch. But Jesus is saying, where's your faith? He said, if if we were hungry, I could easily produce the bread for 13 people. No problem. But he's He's saying you're off track. You're not thinking spiritually. He said, I am not talking about bread that we eat. I'm talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees he said I want you to understand disciples they are hypocrites they're hypocrites they're fake they're not the real thing they're we got a false doctrine their' spirituality that they show out there it's only as it's just a layer on the outside of them you peel that layer of clothes off of them and peel the rules off of them you just got a bag of sinful bones they're hypocrites You see, disciples, their idea of church, their idea of what's spiritual is not right. They've completely missed the mark. Verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'd like to say this morning, there are three categories of people in the world. And there's two destinations that all people will end at. Three categories of people. There are the people... That believe and obey. That yes, they believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God and they obey Him. That is one category of people. And they have got a ticket to heaven. They're on the road. They are marching for those gates. That's one category of people. There's another category of people. Those that say no to Jesus. Jesus offers salvation. They said no, no thanks Jesus. I don't need you. I don't need you in my life. And they walk away from God in eternal life and the saving blood of the cross. That, that category of people got a ticket to hell. That's what they're headed for. And then there's a third category of people, those that believe there is a God but they refuse to humble themselves and to obey God and somehow they convince themselves in their mind that probably God just doesn't really mean what he says. They've also got a ticket that heads them for hell. There's three categories of people, but there's only two destinations. But whom say ye that he is? See, that's a very, very important question that Jesus asked his disciples. And dear people, this morning, that question is a question that every one of us has to answer. Who is Jesus? And have we confessed with our mouth and with our heart that he is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And if we confess that. And live out that confession. It puts us on the path. That leads to your eternal, everlasting life. And so it is very, very important. How we answer that question. Verse. Verse. When he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is not something that Peter just came up with. You know, as we read the Gospels, I love Brother Peter. I, when I get to heaven, I want to meet him. And I'll sit down and talk with him. But you know, there was times in Peter's life where he just, his faith was weak. There was times that he denied Jesus. In times he didn't say what he should have said. There are times he ran away from God, from Jesus. But he got it right here in Matthew. He gave the right answer. And that answer came from the Holy Spirit. God revealed that answer to him. And that's why he came up with the right answer. It's an inspired truth. And Jesus came back and he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And I had a pastor come up to me in Haiti. He said, "Delmer, why does the Bible say this in Matthew that Jesus is going to build his church on Peter? Why is he building it on Peter? I said, no, pastor, he's not building it on the man Peter. He's building it upon what Peter said. There was a... I know the word Peter means a rock, but there's a boulder, there's a rock, there's a boulder of truth that came out of Peter's mouth when he said Jesus is the Christ, the Son, of the living God. And that is what the church is going to be built upon. Not upon the man Peter, but upon his words and the confession he made. The church will be built upon the foundation of of Jesus Christ 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11 for, the, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ upon this rock, upon Jesus Christ the church will be built well here in verse 18 there's five powerful words and you know them all by memory, by heart you've heard it a hundred times or a thousand times in your lifetime Jesus said I will build my church those are five very important words my dear people Jesus said, I will build my church. The church will be built. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that Jesus will build a church? Yes. And it's going to be built God's way. It's going to be built by His plan. And it will be built. There will be a bride. And He said, Jesus went on, He said, And the gates of hell shall not Prevail against it. When I read that, it almost makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The devil can throw anything at it that he wants to. And there's going to be a church. They'll never destroy it. There's going to be a bride. I'd like to focus in this morning on church ownership. Now the word ownership means to confess... That it belongs to me. When you say you have ownership of something, that that means you are saying, you are confessing that it belongs to me. So when we talk about church ownership this morning, we're saying to confess that I choose to be a builder, owner of the church of Jesus Christ. We're saying I claim responsibility. We talked about ownership of a watch. Low level of commitment. Anybody can do it. That's got a buck, you can do it. And you can take that watch and you can throw it in the door and never look at it again forever in your lifetime. doesn't make any difference. Low level of commitment to be an owner of a watch. We talked about owning a car. We talked about owning a house. But this morning, we're talking about having ownership. In the church of Jesus Christ. It is not a watch my dear people. It's not a watch. It's not a house. It's not a car. I'm afraid sometimes we're not understanding what we're owning. We're talking about the church of Jesus Christ my dear people. There I say this morning it is a radical commitment. To confess. Then I claim responsibility to build the church. You know, there are a lot of churches all over the world. There are a lot of churches in Traverse City, Michigan. A lot of churches in Austin. All over the place. All across the world. But you know, dear people, they are not all built upon Jesus Christ. They're not all built upon the rock. And you might say this morning, you say, you mean to tell me, preacher, that there's churches that are going to hell? No, what I'm telling you is, there are people sitting in churches that are going to go to hell. And I don't like to say that. I don't take any pleasure in saying that at all. But I'm just telling you what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. sitting in church that have not claimed ownership of the church of Jesus Christ I have said this to our congregation many times in Traverse City and I'll say it to you here this morning we, we, the Sunday school lesson this morning ties right into this we're talking about the redemption when Jesus comes back that we're to be watching and ready and waiting so that we all can go And I've often said to our congregation at home, I think it would be really special if Jesus Christ would come back on a Sunday morning when we're all gathered together. I don't know if you've thought about that or not. I think it would be special if it would be on a Sunday morning and here we would sit in our congregation and all at once. Well, okay, I don't know. Do you have a graveyard out here? No no graveyard. Okay. Well, the Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. All right? All right. And so if there was a graveyard out here, if there was, and if our dear brother Arnie would be buried out here, and that trumpet would sound, and we'd be sitting in church, and you would hear the trumpet, and you look out the window, and you would see brother Arnie coming up out of his grave, defying gravity. And then the Bible says, those that are alive and remain shall rise to meet him in there, and we would go up out of this building, holes in the ceiling. But my question is, this morning would every seat be empty. If he would come on a Sunday morning. Would every seat in this church house be empty in the next thirty seconds, if Jesus Christ returned, would this place be empty? And I asked the pastors in eighty that. Same question. And they said, Oh no, 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 no. There's people in our church that aren't saved. They wouldn't all go. There's two things that Jesus came to earth for. Number one, he came to seek and save the lost. Through salvation, through the cross, through the blood on the cross, he came to seek and save the lost. That's why he came. Secondly, he came to establish the bride. He laid the foundation for the church because there's going to be a bride. He came to seek and save and he came to establish that church and gather the bride. He's coming back for the bride. And so when you think about him coming to seek and save the lost and you think about him establishing the church, my friends, this morning, those two things go hand in hand. They are inseparable. You cannot separate it. Any serious Christian that takes their walk with God seriously, they want to be part of the church. Any serious Christian is in love with the church. There's too many people sitting in churches this morning. I'm not saying about this church from from what... You know, I don't know you. And I'm glad I don't. So I'm just sharing my heart this morning. But there's too many people sitting in churches and even conservative Mennonite churches that are not in love with the church. They haven't confessed that they take responsibility and ownership of the church. You see, when I hear people say they're Christians but they are uncommitted to a local church you know what there's red lights flashing in my mind there's something wrong with those people they say they're Christians but somehow they have not taken ownership of the church there's something wrong you see the first thing that a person does when they get saved is they want to get into the church it's just as natural as anything else. When you're thirsty, what do you want to do? You want to go to the water fountain. Get some water. When you're hungry, you want to go to the kitchen. You want to go to the refrigerator because that's where the food is. When you get saved, my dear people, you want to go to the church. Several things that stir my mind this morning. One of them is I'm... Um, The class I'm teaching in Maranatha is Doctrine of the Church. And I hear young people in this class that are expressing a desire to have a church that's alive and for real. And that people are enthused about it. And they question whether a church can be a Mennonite conservative biblical church and and be dynamic at the same time. And I say, yes, it should be. It can be. And they're questioning what is wrong with our churches. Why do our people not show up on Sunday night programs? Why don't they show up on Wednesday night prayer meeting? Do we not love the church? Have we not taken ownership of it? The young people are asking this. I don't go around that much, but what I do... In our plain churches, I see a low level of commitment to the local body of the Church of Jesus Christ. No ownership. Somehow we have got distracted and dis, dissonant from the fact that we think that we can. We think that we can play church somehow and get away with it. I'm preaching this message to myself. I'm just as human as you are. I'm just as distracted as you do. Just as prone to materialism as you are. Just as prone to pride and selfishness as anyone else. So I'll make this personal to myself this morning. Well, back here in Matthew 16, verse 18, this very familiar verse. Jesus said, I will build my church. First thing I like to think about is the word my. Jesus said, My church. And so we need to understand that it's not our church. It's not Warren's church. It's not Lynn's church. It's not Dennis's church. Or Mark's church. It's God's church. It's not our church. The second thought I pull from that phrase is Jesus said, I will build. Jesus said, I will build. So, 2,000 years ago, Jesus said this. Now, is Jesus here this morning in person? Does anybody see Jesus here in person being this morning? No, we have not. If he would be, there would be 4,000 people here. Alright? He is not here in person this morning. His spirit is here. God's spirit is here in this room. But Jesus is not here. And so when he said, I will build, how is he going to build the church if he's not here? Well, one of the answers in the first answer is he has laid the foundation by his life, by coming to earth, his life, his blood, salvation, the cross, raising from the dead, ascending, his teachings, the promise that he's coming again. He has laid the foundation of the church. It's there. The foundation is laid. There's no other foundation that needs to be laid. So he has laid the foundation. And secondly, he's going to build it with men and women that are saved and obey and build upon Jesus Christ. See, a lot of people get saved. And they might want to identify someone with the church, they might want to go to church and soak up the good things. But there's a lot of people that aren't willing to build it wet wood. No fire. A lot of smoke. Won't build. Or there's a lot of people that are maybe in the church, but they want to build upon some other foundation. They don't like the foundation of Jesus Christ, and so they got other ideas. they got man's ideas and the ways they like to build a church, and so they try to build on that. That's not building the church of Jesus Christ either and so when Jesus said I will build my church my friends this morning that is an invitation for you and I to claim church ownership to confess that I choose to be a builder of the churches of Jesus Christ it's God's church but he compels us to ownership he compels us to commit to build his church you see this job belongs to me it belongs to you And if you can just in your mind this morning picture Jesus saying I will build my church and he's extending a hand and in his hand there's a hammer and he's wanting to give it to you brother Warren he's wanting to give it to Lois he's wanting to give it to every one of you this morning a hammer extend it to you to build the church of Jesus Christ. There are three things that. Most people don't want. I believe I'm accurate in saying most. There are three things that are reason why many don't sign on for church ownership. Why they don't take the hammer. And by the way, I just read a statistic. I believe it was yesterday that only 18% of Americans go to church regularly on a Sunday morning. So, less than 2 out of 10 go to church regularly on a Sunday morning. That's Americans. And so there's, there's quite a, a nonchalant attitude in America generally, our culture towards church. You know, take it or leave it, most people leave it, don't want it. Why? Because they're influenced with other things, and other things are more attractive. And that whole culture, that whole thinking filters down into the church and affects us as plain Mennonite people well there's three things about church but I'm talking now when I'm talking about church I'm talking about the true church of Jesus Christ I'm talking about the bride I'm not talking about a church that's down the road somewhere it's got a sign out front that says church but in that church they allow divorce and remarriage and homosexuality and everything else that are obviously sins that God would never take to heaven that's not a church that's just an organization it's not the true church of Jesus Christ I'm talking about the true church this morning that obeys God and his commandments There are three things about taking ownership in that church that a lot of people don't like. One of them is accountability. Another one is responsibility. And the third one is submittability. I don't know if that's a word, Ryan, but I just made it a word, alright? It should be a word if it's not. Submittability, alright? Accountability, responsibility, submittability. You see, we live in a society of extreme individualism hyper individualism on steroids individualism everybody wants to do what's right in their own eyes they want to have their own fun do their own thing don't want anybody else to tell them what to do that has filtered into the church and therefore people don't want to submit one to another and I'm telling you this morning dear people that church ownership is a radical commitment it requires that we submit to each other Church ownership is not for the weak. It's not for the lukewarm. It's not for the half-hearted. It is not for the selfish or the carnally minded or the backslider. It is not for the religious person that stuffs their religious life into two hour time slot a week going to church. I'm talking about something way more than that. Oh no, my friend. Church ownership is more than two hours a week. I'd like for you to turn to me to First Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is talking about the church here. And verse 12. We'll start reading of chapter 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit, for the body is not one member but many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the eye shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the foot, feet, I have no need of thee. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular." We have here a picture of the church of Jesus Christ. Beautiful word picture. Of what the church looks like. You know, and as I read this, I would come to the conclusion that we are not a church in and of ourselves. That's not what this. how I would read this. You know, not one man has all the gifts. Not one man is all the parts of the body of the church of Jesus Christ. And so, we, I know, there are people that say, well, they just home church. They have their own church. And I know there may be a reason sometimes why it needs to be that way. I, I understand. I give room for that. But my friends, this morning we are not a church in and of ourselves. And to those that would say, you know, I don't need to be a part of a church. Well, that's, that's going down a whole other road and I'm not going to have time for that this morning. But somehow they just see that you know, they can't become a part of a congregation. So they home church over here. Or they do this or that. and They just, they just disconnect themselves from a local church. Of Jesus Christ, especially when there is a local church available. I just don't have a lot of room for that, I'll be honest with you this morning. I don't think the Bible has any room for it. You cannot obey much of the New Testament if you're not part of the church. You take the New Testament. It is loaded with instruction to the church. And if you separate yourself from that, I question... Your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is an opportunity to be part of a congregation. That's Bible believing. And you separate yourself from that and say, I'll just do my own thing. You're going to have a really skinny Bible. You're cutting a lot of pages out of it. But Paul here uses a powerful metaphor of a human body being a picture of what the church is like. I've used that word radical this morning because I believe it's pictured here that God has designed the church to be radically connected, interconnected, and dependent upon one another. Just like the human body is made up of a bunch of different pieces. Ryan could explain it a lot better than I can, but they're all dependent upon each other. They've got to work together to be one. I'll just give some simple illustrations this morning. We live in Kingsley, Michigan. And if my left eye would say, I'd like to live in Grand Rapids. So it rolls down 131, two hours to Grand Rapids. There goes my left eye. Lives in Grand Rapids. And if my ears would say, you know what? I just really don't enjoy snow blowing. I'm going to live in Florida. Pinecraft. All those other Mennonites and Amish there. So my ears take off and they go to Florida. And if my left foot would say, I want to wear a flat tennis shoe. And my right foot would say, well I want to wear a cowboy boot with a two inch heel on it you see if one eye is missing disconnected from the church all at once that church doesn't see like it should and if two ears are off somewhere else church doesn't hear like it should and all at once the church has got all kinds of issues because they got leg issues and knee issues and hip issues because one's wearing a flat shoe tennis shoe and one's wearing a cowboy boot that's causing all kinds of pain you know what, that's a dysfunctional church that's what happens ineffective church, powerless, unappealing, dysfunctional church ownership is a radical commitment to function together as one body to all come together and work together as one body Again, there are three things that most people don't want. Accountability, responsibility, submittability. But all three of those things mesh together. And when they come together, there are things that we absolutely need. They are absolute and we need them to come together to function as a body. So I'd like to talk just a little bit about those three things. Number one, we are responsible to build the church upon the foundation of Jesus Christ in his word we don't build it on a pastor brother Ernie was here for a long time but you don't build the church on brother Ernie you don't build it on brother Dennis or any other person in the church, it's not built upon a pastor the church is built upon Jesus Christ, you get on the foundation and everybody is responsible to help build that church on the foundation of Jesus Christ you may think you know what I'm, a, I'm just a, a member that I don't have a lot of gifts, and I can't do a lot of things, and I, maybe I don't preach, and I don't teach, whatever. But you know what? you still got to. God put a hammer in your hand. Jesus said, I will build the church, and he put that hammer in your hand. And so you have a responsibility to make sure that the church is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. You know, this building is, I think it's probably getting pretty full, and I don't know if you're thinking of building another building or what you're going to do sometime. But let's just pretend, imagine that you're going to build Another church house out here, and you're going to use this for your school. Okay, that's pretty logical thinking, isn't it? But anyhow, so let's say you're going to build another church house. And so you agree to build a church house, a new physical church building. And so you come, the day is set, you're going to start the building. So half of you come and you start building the church on that back corner of the lot. And the other half of you start building the church out here. Hmm. Or maybe one brother is working off of a blueprint that has 8 foot high walls and another brother is framing off a blueprint that says 10 foot high walls. Or maybe somebody is building the church with church standards and then there's other people that are building the church and saying, we don't need church standards. You know what that is? That's a problem. Very simple. It's a problem. We are responsible, dear people, to get it on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Not off somewhere else, on some other sinking sand foundation, but get it on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Every one of you bears that responsibility to support the building of the church on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Beware! Beware! There's many other ideas out there that will take you off of that foundation. But make sure that you are building on the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, we are accountable to each other. As I said before, the church ownership is a radical interdependence upon each other. You know, what? If, if I was a part of your congregation and my left eye would be missing this morning and it's down in Grand Rapids somewhere, you need to be coming to me and say, Delmer, where in the world is your left eye? And when I say it's down in Grand Rapids, you need to say, well, what in the world is it doing there? Why is it in Grand Rapids? What is it looking at there in Grand Rapids? How do you know what it's looking at there? Why isn't it here? We can't see right with your one eye left missing. If I'd be limping around this morning and I'm part of your congregation and i got a flat shoe, tennis shoe on one foot and a cowboy boot on another and I'm limping around here and I'm getting in pain you need to come to me and you, say, and you say brother, what can we do? How can we fix this problem? Because we're feeling your pain. You're affecting the whole congregation. How may we help? Accountable to each other. Radical interdependence upon each other. Number three, we are to submit to each other. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God or because of God. You know, that's a verse in the Bible that a lot of church people wish it wasn't there. They would like to cut that verse clean right out of the Bible. Submitting to each other. That's what God says. And that's what will build a church. submitability to submit to each other. Again, it's the picture of a body of different parts that submits to each other. We can't all be the eye, we can't all be the ears, we can't all be the nose, but we all need to submit to each other and come together so we function right. Brother over here, Alex, said about a snowblower. You know, if I go to blow snow in Traverse City, Michigan, I got a pretty long driveway, and if my left foot says, I'm going to, my left leg says, I'm going to go down and start down by the road, and my right foot says, no, we're going to start up by the garage, and so we do this thing. You know, stretch, 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 because we want to start different places that can't work together. That's like a church that has a snow blower. And so the auger is over here, and the engine is over here, and the blower is over here, and they think they're going to blow snow. No. It all works together in one unit. Submitting yourselves one to another because of God. And then, I'd like to yet this morning encourage loyalty to your home congregation. Dear people, be loyal to your home congregation. There are a lot of things that take us away from that. One is affluence. We have money. Two is ease of travel. Three is technology. These are three things, and there's more, but these are three obvious things that work against loyalty to your home congregation. It is so easy to put your energy, your focus, your time somewhere else, outside of this body. And when you do that, you are leaving a part missing. The reason some churches function like they do is because, yeah, they may have a hundred members. It may look like a nice body, but half of their energy, time, and focus is somewhere else. And so they only got half a body that's really functioning and it stumbles around. Be loyal to your own congregation. These other things that are pressing in on us, they, they tend to distract and take away that loyalty. The body can't function as a body if it's disconnected and distracted low level of commitment church ownership this morning have you signed on to confess that you have chosen to build Jesus said I will build my church have you said yes I will be responsible I will be accountable I will be submittable I will be part of the body. Church ownership. It's not an option. It's a requirement. Have you said yes to Jesus?